Wheeling Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Welcome to episode 300. You know, some pilots only fly in and out of controlled fields. For others, it may be in years since they visit an airport without a tower. You know, maybe you're a professional pilot getting back into general aviation and want to refresher on operating at non-towered airports. And for those who operate every day out of non-towered fields, maybe we can give you some tips and tricks to help you operate more efficiently and safely. You know, whatever your flying background, we hope you'll find this episode helpful and fun. Let's do the pre-flight. And today joining me on this episode are your co-hosts. Uh, we have with us Russ Rosleski. Hey, Carl. And Bill English. Hey, man. How's it going, Bill? Hey, good to see you, man. Yeah, it's been a while. Good to be back. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I tell you what, since we haven't done an episode in a long time with a group, uh, and like I said, I apologize for that, but we've had a lot of things come up in life, uh, and one of the reasons we're doing this episode, and we'll get into that in a second, uh, is uh, you know we haven't been able to catch up on what we've been doing flying-wise. Uh, so, Bill, let's start off with you. Uh, what, uh, what's been new? And, uh, and by the way, for the audience, uh, this is coming out in the beginning of the new year. Happy New Year, and uh, Merry Christmas, and Happy Holidays. So, Bill, tell us a little bit about uh, what's been going on this year with your flying. Yeah, uh Great new year. Man, it's been a while, I guess, since we've been together. So uh, last time we talked, since then, I retired from the mysterious, that isn't so mysterious, day job. So officially a retiree uh, fed now. And uh, in the spirit of be careful what you ask for, you might get it. My little part-time side flight instructor gig has turned into assistant chief at, uh, we'll call it the Big Red Flight School, um, the major 141 operation assistant chief um, examining authority and basically uh, you know you had your episode about uh, life getting the way of flying uh, flying pretty much took over life so having a great time um, in the air almost every day and uh, and I'm just loving it you know, uh, Bill, going back to uh, something you said a long time ago about Stuck Mike helping you get back into aviation and renewing your CFI, uh, I don't think you realized that it was going to become this big of a part of your life, did you? I mean, you really are flying a lot. Yeah, um, yeah, you, you, you guys uh, really created a monster. <laughs> <laughs> a good monster, yeah, though. We're, right. we're happy that's about right. that. Yeah, was, and, uh, I'm so glad you're back. Yeah, today. and and uh, and uh, what's uh, well, let's see. By the time people hear this, I'm three months into aircraft ownership again. Uh, brought home the the fat little airplane back in uh, October, so got that going too. And, and, you know, we would love to uh, have you on just talk about aircraft ownership and purchasing an airplane at some point. So I'd love to hear more sure. about that. That'd be awesome. We'd just do an episode on that. Uh, so uh, Bill English, boy, uh, and I don't know if we can mention who you retired from. Or we're gonna I, I don't, I don't think now. it was a mystery to anybody okay. that listened to us that I re retired right. from NTSB. 
Okay, yeah. good. And maybe we could talk a little bit about the NTSB someday now that we can't, don't have to keep it the big mystery. Right. Uh, but uh, anyway, well, congratulations on your retirement. Congratulations on the new airplane. And congratulations on you examining authority and everything that you're doing at the flight school. Uh, grass does not grow under Bill English's feet. That is for sure. Uh, Nothing or grows anywhere near his my wings. Feet. Yeah, that's for sure. That's a that's a good oh, that's, thing. Yeah, but that's a different there. subject, right? Right. That's a different subject. <laughs> but uh, so, Russ, um, man, it has been such a long time since we've gotten together. So we kind of want to bring the audience up to speed, and then we'll get into the topic at hand. Uh, what have you been up to for the past? Gosh, it's been six months. Yeah, at least that. I mean, it's been an amazing six months for me. I, I finally got a full time flying job. You know, aside from uh, all the flight instruction I was doing and contract pilot work and all that, I got a full time flying job, and I'm flying a King Air 300 for a government agency. Uh, we will probably talk about that topic in detail on a future podcast. I'm looking forward to that. But it's been a lot of fun learning the airplane and learning the uh, mission that that we're involved in. So uh, other than that, I'm still keeping up with some instruction, uh, you know, on you know, weekends and such, but very limited because I am flying quite a bit. It's keeping me busy, but it's been it's been really, really good. No, that's awesome. You know, and congratulations, by the way, on the new job. I think that's terrific. Uh, I'm just so excited for actually for both of you. It's just so neat to hear about uh, what's happened with everybody in the new year. Uh, sorry, to, we took so much time in this, but I really wanted to bring people back up to speed. And uh, obviously, everybody knows what's going on with me. I'm, I'm now teaching in the simulators and uh, also uh, made captain. Finally, actually, since my last episode, I finally did my Fed ride, so I'm officially able to carry passengers as captain. So that's another thing that... So we've all had accomplishments since uh, the last episode. So this is terrific. Now entering cruise flight. Well, one of the things I want to talk about today, and this is why uh, I, think, I think both Bill and Russ will be great uh, for input into this, is operating at non-towered airports and, and some of the challenges there. I think all of us have challenges at non-towered airports, uh, you know, what we should do, when we should say things uh, at some time in our flying career, because maybe you walked away from general aviation for a while, um, maybe you've went into professional flying and you haven't flown in anything but a towered field. And for me, I mean, I was in general aviation for a long time where I only flew between towered fields. And then when I got to a, a non-towered field, I was like, hmm. You know, what, what do I do now? So there's a lot of resources out there. We're going to talk a little bit about that and uh, and some of the things that, that we find that are challenges. Uh, for me personally, I'm going to go into a little bit about uh, what happens at the airlines when we fly at non-towered airports. And then and Bill and, and Russ, I kind of want to have your input as far as uh, the more of the GA side, uh, since you're more focused on that. Uh, one of the issues that we have at the airlines, I'll start there as far as challenges, and I'll have uh, Bill and, and, and Russ input is that you know we have a lot of times at the airlines it could be eh, sometimes 10 years since we've flown out of a non-towered field and and by the way i think people are thinking in their mind well why would you fly out of non-towered field you're always flying ifr uh, with that said many of the airports that we go to uh, especially in certain countries uh, they close at night and even in the u.s they just close down at a certain time uh, so there's no tower there 
as far as the tower is concerned, they closed down. Uh, so we have to go back to our initial training as far as flying in non-towered fields. And also remember this, at the airlines, we hire a lot of military pilots. And the military pilots have been doing a lot of flying out of some of these non-towered airports. So that's the big challenge there for us at the airlines. And for us at the airlines that also getting back into general aviation, this becomes a challenge. So again, we're going to go over a lot of things here. Uh, but that's from our side of things. And you can understand that, right? Because you know, we're always being told and directed what to do all the time. We get a clearance. We told when to taxi, when to go out to the runway. Uh, it, it's the funniest thing <laughs> watching an airline pilot just kind of because we have all these procedures for being cleared to land, and you're you know we call you know thousand feet stable and on tower, and you know pilot says clear to land, and you're like wait a minute, oh yeah, we cleared ourselves to land. So it's kind of an odd kind of a, a situation in the in the scenario of, of call outs and things like that. But as far as the challenges are. Uh, Bill, I'd like you to kind of comment on some of the things that you might see uh, from the non-towered operations. And, and I guess to clarify, do you do a lot of uh, flying out of non-towered fields also, Bill? Oh, yes, we do. Uh, my base is a towered airport um, that's uh, tucked into some very tight controlled airspace. Um, but it's part-time tower. So after 6 p.m. or before 8 a.m., it's non-towered. So we, we kind of are are both the home base um our our school is at five different locations three of those are non-towered fields um and uh, some some are busier than others some very busy mixed with corporate jets and uh and light general aviation and uh, we do have some uh, non-towered fields that our students go to that uh, do have air carrier operations so we're mixing in uh the training flights uh with at, at least regional jet size uh, air carrier operations. So we definitely see a little bit of all of that. Um, so but what do you think is some of the challenges or maybe some common errors that you find amongst uh, the people that are operating out of non-towered fields? So, yeah, we see a lot of that aside from the whole the, the traffic mix. Um, like you say, you're with the towered airport or, um, you know, Class Charlie or something like that. It, you have to shift gears from being told what to do to you have to decide what to do, where to go, and when. Um, typically, one of the very common errors I see on, you know, stage checks and with students is just setting up for the pattern, um, figuring out how to get into the right runway, the right way, um, which direction. You know, they've got to figure all that out themselves. Um, if they, you know, plotted out their cross country and figured it all out before they left, great. And of course, you know what happens: the wind shifts, and it's all different when they get there and now have to figure all that out on the fly, uh, which way is the runway they really want to land on and how do they set up to that pattern? That's very common. Interesting. And Russ, how about you? I mean, you operate, uh, I know, a lot of towered fields, but uh, do you also, uh, in your job, operate out of, uh, of non-towered? And, and do you find, and what are some of the challenges that you see or common errors? Well, I think uh, first let's talk about, you know, like Bill was mentioning from a flight training aspect, you know, I still do some of that. and. Uh, one of the things that he mentioned was, you know, entering the pattern and, and that kind of thing. Now, I'm generally not working with new uh, student pilots anymore. But what I do see is, you know, like an, an aircraft upgrade, you know, a person buys a new airplane and is faster than the one they're used to. And it seems like the pattern work might be fine, but the de descending into the pattern, you know, now they're doing 180 knots on down one because they forgot to slow down, you know, that, that kind of thing. And that doesn't mix well with the, you know, with Bill's guys, <laughs> you know, flying around the pattern. So uh, that's a very common mistake that I see. Uh, 
you're trying to uh, you just get busy on that one if you're simultaneously trying to slow down and run your checklist and retrim and and you know maintain level flight and get the gear down and all that kind of thing. So I would say the one of the problems I see is just fitting into the traffic flow as it as it is. Uh, obviously, the busier of a uncontrolled airport that you're at, the harder it is to self-sequence and to fit in there. So really what you have to do is develop a good picture of what the traffic looks like starting. I mean, there's no reason you can't have Unicom on your second radio from, you know, 20 miles away or so. Right. So, so put that in and just kind of be paying attention to how many people are in there. We have ADSB now in, in most planes, you can look on your iPad and see, Oh, there's four guys flying around the pattern. Uh, you know, maybe I, you know, want to do the whole, uh, you know, formal pattern entry, like I was taught and not just, you know, try to bust on in the pattern, <laughs> right. You know, uh, take a shortcut in there. So, uh, a, a few things like that is kind of what I see, uh, in my day job, we do fly out of, out of controlled fields, uh, for takeoff and landing almost exclusively. We sometimes land at uncontrolled airports, but not a whole lot, but we do actually operate doing our mission at um, routinely at, at uncontrolled airports. And, and we see a lot of the, uh, the same kind of things there. Now, our, our mission, we're generally trying, not trying to spend too long at the uncontrolled airports if we can avoid it, but there is other traffic there. And, and what I see is just simple radio communications, right? Um, and calls to make and position reporting. Uh, there are people that do it too much, I think. And there are people who just don't make enough calls. And I think maybe we'll get into that a little bit uh, later as you talk about, you know, best practices and such. Absolutely. Yeah, that was a good summary. Um, and, you know, another thing that both of you keyed in on, and I think this is important also, is I at times when we're operating out of a, a non-towered field, uh, we, we sometimes lose a little bit of our situational awareness. And we also may not be totally situationally aware. Uh, may not have lost it, but we may not be totally aware because we're not used to having to actively listen for other traffic. Whereas we, in the past, say if we've flown out of a towered field, we have had someone else looking for that traffic for us. But remember this, you're the person that has to see and avoid. And remember the fact that we, we all have to realize that, that it's, it's upon us to make sure that we stay safe and we stay away from the other traffic in the pattern by visually identifying the traffic. And the point here is that, uh, and talking about uh, some best practices, we're going to get into that, is the fact that there are airplanes that don't have, have any radios. Uh, so you wanted to add something there, uh, Russ? Yeah, I think you actually made a good point, Carl, was that when we're in a towered environment, you know, what are we primarily listening for? We're just listening for our call sign or our tail number. And that kind of perks our interest up and yeah, maybe we're kind of paying a little bit of attention in the background, but that's not our, really our prime focus generally, right? It's listening for our tail number. Whereas like you mentioned <laughs> at an uncontrolled airport, we, we got to be listening to everything going on. It's not, none of it's going to be directed at us, but it's all advisory in nature. And we have to be creating that visual picture of where all the traffic is on our own, <laughs> you know, and no one's going to say, <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, uh, Russ, listen up, you know, it's, it's, you just have to be paying attention all the time. So it increases your workload a little bit. <laughs> it sure does. 
You know, sometimes we lose uh, track. I'm laughing a little bit because you reminded me of, of an embarrassing moment I had. I uh, kind of lost a, a little bit of situational awareness as to, you know, say, setting up the airplane in an uncontrolled field. And I was going into an, a non-towered airport and saying, you know, doing all my calls. And normally when we're cleared to land, we turn on all the lights. This is when an airliner many, many years ago. And I forgot to put all the lights on. As a captain, we turn all the lights on for landing. And as we get lower and lower to the runway, I was like, man, yes, it's really hard to see. And the first officer kind of says to me, he says, hey, uh, you know, your lights aren't on. I was like, oh, my gosh, what an embarrassing moment. So we turn, because we're so used to, again, having somebody say our call sign, tell us we're cleared to land, and then we turn the lights on. So there, it was just, it was quite embarrassing. At least it was just one person in the, in the flight deck that, uh, that we came to that embarrassing moment with. But it's just, it just shows you that uh, we have to be sometimes more aware of our surroundings by listening at uh, non-towered airports. So let's go you know, a little bit into some of the, the best practices here. And this is, uh, I think you keyed on to something there, Russ. Um, and uh, some people don't talk enough. Some people talk too much. Uh, I think one of the things that we have to always reference is the AIM uh, and the Aeronautical Information Manual. And that's something that I'll have a link to in the show notes as far as the different sections in the AIM that you can reference both for VFR and IFR flying. And, you know, we really need to start listening. And I love what you said is listening. You know, if you're on one frequency talking to approach control and now you're going to go over to a non-towered airport, have it on the backup. Have it on standby if you have one, hopefully. And and then you start getting that situational awareness. When you do switch over, you know, 10 miles away from the airport, start those calls. You know, tell them, you know, who you are and uh, and basically, you know, what, what you're doing, where you are from the airport. And if you're landing at this airport, try, before you start talking, start getting, again, your situational awareness. Because one of the things I think we have a challenge with is is telling people where we are uh so and i've found that you know just knowing you're north of the airport you know you know whatever it is you know plant city traffic cessna 12345 is 10 miles north of the airport inbound for landing at plant city and it's really one of those things where you know we sometimes say north but we're flying south you know, see what I'm saying? Sometimes we get that mixed up in our heads. And I see this happen a lot of times with people saying, okay, I'm flying south, but I'm north of the airport. So they kind of get a little bit confused there. So knowing where you are in relationship to the airport is important and making those calls. And then starting to make those calls within the pattern. So I love to, to kind of go through that uh, as far as how you make those calls and how you teach those. And Russ, uh, maybe if you want to give some input as far as you know, when you're teaching a student how to start their call, say they're coming in like 10 miles north of the airport, what what do you, you tell them to do and how do you get them set up for that? Well, of course, you need to say the name of the airport, importantly, and then who you are and then what, you know, where you are, what you're doing, and always end with the name of the airport. That's, that's important. Um, you know, we all know that there's a lot of airports that share the same frequency and at least in my area, a whole lot of them have the same runway configuration too. I mean, runway 17 and runway 18 are really common in this part of the world. So if you don't, you know, kind of like we mentioned before, you know, sometimes you're not really paying attention until something perks your interest up. And if you don't hear the name of the airport that someone's calling at, but they say they're on final for runway 17, well, oh, there's a runway 17 at this airport, at my airport too. And is he here or not? 
and then you wait till the end and they say it again hey that's perfect but if they don't say it at the end then you're not really sure and it can you know create some confusion and maybe some additional calls you say hey where are you at and this kind of thing which isn't really necessary so i always recommend putting i'm pretty sure this is right out of the aim too putting your uh the airport at the beginning and the end of the transmission to to alleviate any confusion there i do like how you said reporting your know, position from the airport uh, you hear uh instrument pilots a lot I, in fact i just heard this the other day some guy said he was you know on the vor alpha approach into runway 17 and now i am a very experienced instrument pilot but i don't know what the approach is for that airport specifically i don't have it up you know because i wasn't flying and i don't know where the vor comes from maybe it comes from the side who knows so you know a call like you know, five miles northwest of the airport inbound to 17 would have been would have been far preferable uh, if it just understand that even if you are an instrument pilot, not everybody out there has any idea what you're talking about instrument-wise. So put it in the most basic VFR terms is my recommendation. Another recommendation I had, since I'm on the, the soapbox here anyway, is uh, is we always learn, especially, you know, we learn in 172s or, or arrows or archers or whatever, and, you know, they're all pretty much going generally the same speed. And so if you say you're, you know, five miles of north or 10 miles of north or something. Well, everyone, you, you kind of used to how long that takes and where you can sequence yourself in. Well, when you start moving up into your world, Carl, or, you know, you're flying a, a business jet or something, well, 10 miles takes a whole lot less time than it did in a 172. So if you call up, the worst is you call up, you know, this is Cessna something, something, and you're a citation, you know, when we think you're a 172 probably, and you call 10 miles north. I really like to hear in there, I think it's a good recommendation to put in minutes as well. If you're something that's a lot faster than the norm, hey, I'm 10, 10 miles north, you know, three minutes out, whatever. Uh, just to give everybody kind of an idea of when they're going to be entering entering the pattern order, you know, on final for the runway. Uh, so um, to touch on something you just said, uh, I'd like to throw in an example uh, to add to what you said about the instrument, say the VOR alpha someone's uh, talking about. We're trying to avoid referencing IFR procedures. And and by the way, that's in one of the advisory circulars uh, that describes uh, non-towered airport operations at the advisory circle of 90-66 Bravo. Uh, we'll put that out there in the show notes. But uh, for instance, in, the, in what you just said, uh, as far as people talking about VOR alpha, maybe a better way for that person to say that, say it's a... a a citation jet. Uh, it'd be like uh, Plant City Traffic Citation Jet uh, 12345 is 10 miles west of the airport, straight in for a final runway 10. Plant City Air Traffic, excuse me, Plant City Traffic. And that's that would be a much better call. It also uh, tells them that you are a faster airplane. Hopefully they'll realize Citation Jet and uh, and a jet is a lot faster uh, because, you know, you got to figure a lot of these planes are slowing down to only about 130 knots, down to about 110 knots possibly. Uh, so they're going to be getting to the airport a lot quicker. Also, the, the fact that they sequence to, the, say, a five-mile final call, uh, it, it very quickly kind of gets you tuned in to, hey, this is what's happening here. So having that call, you know, calling the airport, telling them where you are, and then what you're doing coming in. And, and the, the one thing, the reason I said that straight in for runway uh, one zero is 
many times, and I think the I watched a, a video by Paul Bertarelli, which I think uh, Bill English is going to talk about later in his pick of the week. Uh, a lot of people don't realize it. It's okay to have a straight-in final uh, to an airport. There's nothing says that it's illegal. And as a matter of fact, at the airlines, that's what we normally do. Uh, we're not. We normally will not do an overhead to the uh, airport into the pattern. Although it's, we've done it before, but it's very rare. Uh, it's something that we actually can do and people say no you can't do that the, the worst thing you can do though to to add to that is don't get an argument on the radio you know just make sure you're 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 actually listening to what's happening if you need to talk talk on the ground i mean i've ha- heard some amazing uh arguments with other people on at an airport talking about hey that was the wrong phraseology hey you cut me off in the pattern uh let's just kind of look at what's going on and and just move forward if someone is cutting you off you know, just simply state, hey, listen, you know, I'm, I'll be extending my downwind uh, and be turning base uh, for that one, 172 that, that's on short final. And you don't have to start arguing while you're in the air. And I think that's, a, that's kind of an important point there. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, as far as, as the instrument procedures, part of the advisory circular says, you know, please, and in general, good advice, you know, really avoid referencing IFR procedures. Another part of that, and I think this ties into the IFR procedures, and uh, Bill, I'd like to kind of get your viewpoint on this and, and see, because you, you, you work in a lot of places that have some really interesting uh, landmarks, is I, I try to get away <clears throat> from people saying, hey, I'm, I'm just west of the Merck building, and it's, I'm five miles west of the Merck. Now, who, what? What's the Merck building? You know, it's like I, I, people just don't know a lot of times what those what those landmarks are. So, so make sure again you're tr- you're not referencing local geography that people just don't know, uh, and uh, people that aren't from that area. Because remember, this might be a new student. It might be somebody new to the area. And uh, Bill, I'm t- kind of curious. Uh, do you kind of stress that in your training, or do you see people saying, "Hey, I'm I'm west of the barn," that type of thing? And and uh, how do you address that issue? Yeah, that's that's a couple of good points there. I'll uh, I'll kind of key on too. You know, you guys are talking about uh, the format, how you call that up. Um, you're right. You get some airports that are. Um, you know, heavy training airports, people get used to landmarks and you do hear that sort of thing, right? You know, we're, um, you know, arriving via, you know, over the interstate, that sort of thing that um, an itinerant pilot has no idea what you're talking about. Um, so, you know, one of the most important things, and you kind of hinted at it a little bit, um, that I always bring up in training to think first, don't think on the radio. There's nothing, uh, that gets worse than that. thinking on the radio for a number of reasons. You're just going to stumble over yourself anyway. Um, and like Russ mentioned, we've got a lot of situations where you're, the airport you're at is not the only one on that frequency. And that just means more congestion, more talking on there. The format's pretty easy. You know, you mention it. Here's here's what you're saying. And I, I, and I hear this sloppy a lot. What are you doing when you're calling a position report to a non-towered field? The first thing you're, you're saying, who are you talking to? You are talking to Shangri-La traffic. In other words, the people who are flying around Shangri-La airport. That's who you're talking to. So I'm calling up Shangri-La traffic. And then I'm telling them who I am. Right? I'm Bugsmasher123. Um, adding your type of aircraft sometimes doesn't hurt, especially if it's something a little, um, like you're saying about uh, speeds. You know, if I'm in a twin, I'll add that in. Uh, now, 
I do operate one twin that's kind of an obscure type, so I'll just say twin. At least that gives people the idea what to look for. An airplane with two engines, it's going faster. Um, but anyway, that's who you are. And now what are you doing? Well, I'm 10 miles north. I'm entering the 45 to left downwind for 3-2 at Shangri-La Airport. So the last phrase you say is Shangri-La. Not Shangri-La traffic again. It's runway 3-2 at Shangri-La. That's it. That's the little package right there. Nice and neat. Tells everybody everything they need to know. Listen up, build that package. So don't think on the radio. You've got that little format. Do that. Then listen for that format uh, for the other people. You can kind of build a picture of where they are. Um, I, uh, I kind of lost the plot on what you were asking me there. But uh, at, at any rate, the, you know, the IFR versus VFR, that makes total sense, too. Um, if people are using the, uh, the phraseology, you ought to be able to figure it out, right? They're five miles out on a straight end to runway 3-2. Yeah, they're on an instrument approach. Great. They can say that. They cannot say that. But we don't know necessarily where Bongo intersection is. It's out there somewhere. That's all we know, right? It's five miles away. I can deal with that. Um, are are the IFR aircraft, do they have the right of way over VFR? No, they don't, right? Um, you don't have a right of way. But let's just think about this in common sense terms, physics terms. If you're on downwind in a light sport going a blistering 83 knots, and there's somebody on final, all you got to do is extend your downwind by an extra couple of hundred yards and you fall behind them. Isn't that just simpler than getting into this big mess of, well, I'm in here and I'm going to turn base and I get the right away and this and that. It's like, extend your downwind for an extra 30 seconds and everything's done, right? I'm just trying to make it a little bit uh, logical and simple. I, I love that. And also that's common courtesy. Right. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, just being nice to the other person. They, the other thing, too, is what you, you clued in on there is like these bigger aircraft. We have to be careful of wake turbulence. Yeah. You know, we we have to provide our own wake turbulence separation, right, because we're on our own. So in that case, when you're behind a bigger plane, a twin-engine airplane, uh, we need to be careful. You know, small, a 150 behind, uh, you, know, you know, a King Air they could get a little bit bumpy, right? And uh, so that's something that we need to be careful of and also the possibility of being in a work turbulence event, uh, which could possibly lead to something, a deviation of, of our flight path, uh, which is really important there. Uh, but yeah, so uh, so Russ, you know, what, is there anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, a couple things. I think Bill hit it right on the head with all that. Uh, I wanted to emphasize two of the things he talked about, which was, Number one, cooperate. I, I had written that down already, but you beat me to it, Bill. So I mean, just cooperate in a pattern. I mean, you hear all these examples of people, you know, getting in arguments, like you talked about, Carl, and and it's it's so ridiculous, right? I mean, everybody just wants to to land and go home or do whatever, right? But but if we just kind of talk about it a little bit, you know, if if needed, and like Bill said, ex, you know, if you're in an airplane, you can extend your downwind, you know, you know, another few seconds, and that solves everybody's problem well just you know be courteous and, and do it you know we're not trying to get in the way there's yeah you may or may not have the right of way but if you're you're not you know cooperating you know it doesn't it doesn't make sense so uh so that's an important point there i think um also bill you're talking about thinking before you speak absolutely we hear everybody hears on the radio you know the the long bumbling transmission that goes on forever and ties up the frequency right and I've found that it's not because a person doesn't know what to say. It's because a person hasn't thought ahead of what to say. You know, they're, they're trying to come up with it as they're saying it. And like, kind of like we're doing right now, <laughs> you know, and, and, and we sometimes kind of bumble on even in the podcast, right? But when you're in the airplane, it's even worse. So, 
So just put I mean, just a couple seconds of thought into what you're going to say. Okay, I'm on, you know, right downwind. Okay, got it. And then say it. You know, that's all it takes. And that will reduce the, uh, the amount of transmissions, which actually segues nice, if Carl, if I may continue. Um, or I'd mentioned before uh, about don't over-call. Uh, you can make too many transmissions. Yes, it's important that people know where you are. Absolutely, no, no doubt. But you know, I, I've flown with some people, and, and I've probably done it myself a few times too, where you know you, you call 10-mile final, and then you call 8-mile final, and then you call 6-mile and 5-mile, and then it's like nobody's flying. <laughs> you know, you're just kind of clogging up the frequency. Everybody knows where you are. You've called six times now. You know, So there's no need to over-call. Obviously, if there's some question about where you are, yeah, sure, of course, you know, people are asking whatever, you know, fill in the blanks. But, you know, we all have a, some kind of sense of time and space, right? You know, if there's a plane 10-mile final, well, in a few minutes, it's going to be a five-mile final and, and on like that. So um, overcalling just, just clogs up the frequency, prevents other people from speaking. And, of course, we're working on a CTAF frequency here, right? So not only is it clogging up the the frequency for the airport you're operating at, but possibly, you know, 10 or 15 others as well. So just be brief and to the point um, and think before you speak. Great. Uh, boy, I tell you, that's some, some great points you had there. Also, thinking before you speak, uh, I think another thing that we do is uh, we use phraseology we shouldn't. And we just go back to that. a good example is what's the active runway? Uh, and a lot of people will do this uh, during the call to like Unicom. So this Unicom frequency, it's usually a non-governmental uh, you know frequency as an air, air to ground, right? Radio communication that we use a lot at the airlines uh, because when we're coming into a, an airport, uh, say in Connecticut or whatever that we're flying into and we call Unicom and, you know, we just want to find out, you know, what the winds are. We don't ask them what the active runway is. Uh, they may tell us that traffic is using a specific runway, but they're not directing us. Uh, but they're giving us things like winds, maybe an altimeter setting. They're helpful. And uh, and this this actually can also be very important because it could also, if they're you know giving some type of official weather, uh, it might vary the you know our minimums for an approach that we're trying to get into. Uh, but remember that on that Unicom frequency, you're not asking the person on the ground for a clearance. And I think sometimes, especially when people start off, uh, they they think that that's what they're doing. No, you're just getting some information. Uh, you may even find out they say, "Hey, park on the west side of the ramp." That type of thing. Then after you you get on the Unicom frequency, you're also gonna you know talk about talk about traffic so it's it's uh, plant city unicom uh you know can I get a weather and winds and they and they might tell you what the weather and winds are and by the way uh, they may give you some other information like hey our our gas pump is down and that may be where you're stopping for gas so you might go somewhere else so that was good information from unicom but now you start with traffic then you start with hey plant city traffic uh cessna one two three four five is on a five mile final or we're nine miles north of the airport uh for runway one zero but you're not going to talk about the active runway. To tie into that, to make sure you say at the end, plant city traffic. And a, and a really good example of this, and this is something that uh, I was just having this conversation with instructors, is that people sometimes forget this. And then it's like, well, what airport are you talking to? We have so many shared frequencies around here. Um, and a really good example of this, uh, and really ties into this, is that I had a, a power loss in an aircraft 
at a non-towered airport here in the Tampa Bay area. And I called Mayday, Mayday, Mayday over the frequency. This is, I forget what it was, Piper or whatever. Uh, we've lost our power in our engine and we're going down over, over Tampa Bay. And uh, we're gonna try to land at Peter O'Neill Airport uh, you know, all, all traffic, please, you know, we're going to land either on the runway, the grass, or on the taxiway is what I said. Uh, but what was interesting is it also became silent. And by the time we got on the ground, both air traffic control and other airports were, were calling to find out if we made that. And the point being is that, remember, that that frequency is, is actually also uh, being used by many other airports in the area. And those other, that's an important thing. So what happened is a lot of people stopped transmitting when I started that Mayday, 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 and it got really silent. So just remember that at, through that example, you're transmitting to many different traffic patterns, basically, and you're telling all these other people what you're doing, but, but be very specific. We're landing at, like in this case, I said Peter Arnett Airport. So now people know not to look for me at their airport. Uh, whether it's Zephyr Hills, I think it is, or Plancy, or whatever airports that are in this area that share that frequency. So the the, the important point there is be precise uh, and don't blabber on just uh, about your traffic. That's for sure. So uh, one, I think that really drove it home for me when I realized when I did call that Mayday that there were so many people calling saying, hey, did that guy make it? Uh, and that was kind of cool because I knew also that there was people that were uh, looking out for me and coming to, to find me. Uh, some of this information, though, as far as Unicom frequencies and all, by the way, just going back to air traffic control, uh, different services available in 4-1, uh, things that we're talking about, 4-1-9 uh, uh, is in the aim, and that's kind of what you, if you want to kind of look at some information about uh, about Unicom and the different frequencies and, and things that you should be doing. And one of the references there uh, that I did want to point out is to start calling about 10 miles out. I think that's really important to get that in there. Uh, but going on to other best practices and then some other things, I'd love to hear from, from you guys. Well, I just talked about active runway. Bill, is there any anything that you hear on the radio? Um, I won't call it a pet peeve, but, but something that you hear that, you know, sometimes you, you wish you could grab that person and say, hey, could we get in the cockpit and do some flight training together? Every single day. <laughs> uh, my my kids will tell you that they've heard they've heard plenty of Bill rants about phraseology. Of course, you know I'm kind of a minimalist. I think I, I think I'm down to reading back headings, altitudes, approach clearances, Wilco, and the occasional grunt. Um, but uh, uh, aside from that, uh, there's a lot of just jibber jabber. I uh, specifically stated in the aim, and definitely I'd call it a pet peeve. Any traffic in the area, please advise. I mean, the AIM tells you specifically, <laughs> don't say that, and people keep doing it, right? Um, yeah, you mentioned the, you know, the active runway. As we used to say up in uh, up in New Hampshire when I when I lived up there, ain't none of them active. They all just lay there. Um, there, you got to listen. You got to watch. Um, pay attention, uh, especially to sometimes there are specified calm wind runways. Um, in the chart supplement, um, take a look there. You know, you might find some some little tidbit that uh, should know about looking for that uh, specified calm wind runway. Not not all airports have it, but uh, sometimes they do uh, for noise abatement, traffic, whatever reasons. Uh, but that could be published. So look for that. And uh, yeah, just trying to keep that uh, that stuff to a minimum. You know, the the, the cooperative effort on 
um, non-towered uh, operations, that does allow you some leeway. There may be some times where you might get a little exchange just to make sure things are clear. Hey, you sure you see me? Maybe you're looking at the wrong traffic, that kind of thing. Um, that can just work out, people cooperating with each other. But if it gets into, uh, I mean, I, I heard one exchange at a non-towered field the other day, which every time anyone called in with a position, this other pilot would pipe up on the radio and say, I'm looking for you. Well, no kidding, you're looking. You're supposed to be looking. But all I was doing was clogging up the radio, every single response. I'm looking for you. Well, no kidding. So, um, you know, think think about that kind of stuff. There's uh, there's a time and a place for anything. Sometimes that two-way um, conversation can help. Most of the time, it's just clogging things up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any uh, traffic in the pattern, please advise. That that actually has gone by the wayside many, many years ago. It never really was a, an approved. I'm gl so glad you brought that up. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, that's something that at the uh, airline we discuss in training. And uh, I get a lot of pushback on that one uh, because you got to remember a lot of those terms were used primarily by a lot of regional airline pilots, uh, guys flying, you know, turboprops and small jets into these airports and asking for any traffic in the, in the pattern, please advise. And the one thing that I love to drive home when people kind of give me pushback on that, other than all the references that we've talked about, is that I was involved in an organization and still am, uh, haven't been teaching much with them, it's called the Deaf Pilots Association. And the my students that are now have their private license that are deaf pilots are not going to respond to you because number one, they can't hear you, and number two, uh, they're not gonna speak to you. Also, my friends that own airplanes that don't have radios, they're not gonna say anything either. So just remember this, and to add to, to Bill's point, is that we need to see and avoid other aircraft. They're, they're more than welcome, by the way, to fly in our pattern without a radio, uh, and that's something that is very common, especially at uh, non-towered airports. So just remember that you do have a lot of people out there, and if you make those calls, they're not going to say anything, are they? So, uh, Russ, what what is uh, do you have any specific pet peeves or, or possibly something that you hear often uh, that that you kind of want to get out there? We talked about active runway we talked about any traffic in the pattern you know please advise what what else uh, do you hear that kind of gets under your craw possibly <laughs> there is the the last call one that that does kind of got to get me when someone's leaving the pattern that you know the last call you know, oh <laughs> is it uh, yeah what, what time of night is it at the bar right so uh, <laughs> I, I don't understand that one at all I I, I I mean i guess the people are trying to say that they're leaving the pattern but well okay <laughs> You know, fine. Uh, but it, actually, uh, I think Bill covered covered my other ones as well. Absolutely great. Uh, so going back to what we were talking about with some of these, some examples, et cetera, that was great. But but let's talk, let's switch gears a little bit here. How about the person that's flying IFR out of a, a non-towered airport? And uh, again, I like to use myself as, as a good, bad example. Uh, remember this, when you're flying IFR into a non-towered field, you've been talking to somebody, somebody's been controlling you all the time. We've talked about the different calls you should make in the pattern. There's one more thing you need to do, though. Uh, when, when you get to the terminal, uh, when you shut down, when you get on the ground, uh, and that one really important thing <laughs> that you need to do is uh, you know, get on with the, on the, the whatever frequency you were told, uh, maybe approach, maybe make a phone call, 
uh, and just go ahead and uh, cancel your IFR. Say, hey, or you know, close out that flight plan. Say, hey, I'm done. I'm on the ground. I'm safe on the ground. Now, one of the things that we need to, to make sure of is the fact that we remember to do that. And, uh, and I will, I'll give you a good example, and then, Bill, I want to get to you, is that I actually flew into an airport, and uh, it was one of my first flights in an airline many years ago, and we were so excited and we saw another Czech airman. We started talking with them, and we walked away, went to the hotel, and they, they took the airplane to do some training. And uh, and then we got a phone call from our operations. Well, what had happened is uh, we didn't close that flight plane. We didn't uh, go and actually call anybody. They started the search and rescue, obviously. They started looking for us. And the first thing they do is send the sheriff out to the airport. They go to the airport. There's no airplane. And then they start the process of looking for us, calling our operations, then call us. Very embarrassing. Uh, so avoid that embarrassment. Uh, don't do that to yourself. That happened decades ago, but uh, it was incredibly embarrassing. Bill, what did you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I, it may not. You know, for your guys, it probably doesn't apply. I'm sure, you know, in your 121 ops, you pretty much have to be IFR to the ground. But we don't, um, right? In our general aviation world and it goes back to the just being courteous a lot of non-towered fields are what the controllers would call one in one out they don't have the option of separating the aircraft other than somebody's on approach well that's it they own the airport nobody can get out no other approach can come in if you can cancel now it's always your prerogative right you can always stay ifr to the ground if you have to if it's cloudy absolutely but it's a nice day it's clear you got the airport in sight everything's all good you know, there may be somebody else, you know, burning gas, waiting to get out on a release or spinning around in circles behind you, waiting to get in. Go ahead, cancel on in the air. Well, get the get that cancellation in there. Let somebody else move and uh, kind of being a little kinder to everybody else around you if you can. Um, and, you know, that kind of goes to, you know, we were talking before about the mix with IFR and VFR. And sometimes you have to think about that a little bit. The You know, the, the book is it's pretty good. It's pretty clear about a lot of things. But. A lot of times we operate in the gray areas. The rules for IFR sort of assume that, well, it's IFR weather, so there's no VFRs there. Or VFR, it's like it's very clear, and there's not going to be any IFRs there. But we all know Mother Nature's not like that. We get those days with, eh, it's marginal VFR. So it's kind of a mix. You can have VFRs. You can have IFRs. Let's think about that. Think about what we're doing with other people. Um, coming into a non-towered field on a visual approach. You're not on any specified path to the runway, just whichever direction you happen to be coming from. You see the airport, ATC clears you for the visual. You may not be on the preferred side of the runway for the traffic pattern. You know, they might be sticking you on a pretty much a right base, for example, and everybody else is in left traffic. Um, Maybe that's that might be the safer way to do it rather than go over there and mix with different speed traffic on the left side. Or maybe you are better off swinging around the airport and joining the conga line. Just kind of think about that a little bit. Um, and same thing for people operating in the pattern, that guy that's coming in on the right base, that may actually be helpful to you and, you know, thinking, Hey, you're entering the wrong way. Well, yeah, he's entering the wrong way, but it may actually be a better traffic solution for the whole picture, uh, when they're coming in on the visual, a lot of that's, you know, airport dependent, you know, I, like I said, we're at an airport that's got a lot of crazy airspace all around it. And sometimes it works out better that way, Uh, you know, out in the. Out in the green pastures, it might be different. Yeah, absolutely. It's all it's all dependent on your situation. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the points I wanted to touch on, by the way, I think a lot of people don't realize we can actually fly VFR at uh, 
at uh, a 121 airline. Amazingly enough, a lot of people don't think we can do that. Uh, but uh, very rare circumstances, and we don't advise it because it's kind of what you said is if we do uh, climb out, uh, then you know we may be kind of getting into instrument conditions, and then we've kind of violated uh, you know some regulations there. So we usually advise against it, but it's uh, it's rarely used. Uh, I remember once they asked me to go VFR on a very long trip, and I was like, "Yeah, that's not going to work. We're not going to be able to stay away from the clouds." But uh, Ross, you had a comment on that. Yeah, just to, to kind of add to what Bill was talking about, about canceling IFR. I mean, if if you can cancel in the air, like he said, that's that's great, but you got to make sure you do it when it's safe. I mean, I've had, I've been with folks who, as soon as they break out of the clouds, they want to cancel IFR. Well, that's not necessarily the right answer. Number one, if you're not 500 feet below the clouds, you probably are violating VFR cloud clearance requirements, you know, by canceling, but and we don't certainly don't want to do that. Um, but on a on a real you know marginal day you may break out at you know 800 feet or something right above the ground and you may lose sight of the runway again right i mean you know we've all seen you know, the ragged bottom edges of clouds and such and and you, know, you you see the runway and then you don't well now you don't now what do you do you, you're not uh, you canceled your vfr and now you're vfr and imc and what are you going to do do the missed approach i mean ATC isn't expecting you anymore, which actually brings up another good point because the moment you cancel IFR in the air, you have now terminated any kind of search and rescue people looking for you activity. Okay. ATC is going to, I mean, <laughs> almost immediately forget you even exist. Okay. Yeah. You cancel IFR. Okay. Roger. And you know, the, the strip goes away and, and you're, they're on to the next thing, you know? So if something happens to you, Nobody is going to know to to come looking, you know, and and that could be. I mean, obviously, it could be you know an accident or something, or it could be just you blew a tire on the runway, or you know something like that, you know. So, uh, so just just make sure that uh, if you, you just that you're aware of that if you're going to cancel IFR or the air, and that's fine, and I do it all the time. Um, or if you can't, please please cancel IFR on the ground, Carl, like you you talked about. You know, call them up on everyone has a phone number that's all in the. Uh, airport facility directory, uh, you know, everyone's got a phone number or some other means to contact ATC. And if you can't do that, I mean, you could, you could work it through flight service, but you really shouldn't even have to do that anymore. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you bring up a good point there and uh, let's, let's back up though. Uh, how about the other side of this uh, non-towered airport? One thing we didn't talk about yet is uh, say we want to get out of this field IFR, you know, say, say we want to leave. Uh, we really didn't go into that much, and and one of the things uh, I think we should discuss is the fact that uh, going the opposite direction and leaving, uh, maybe some of the procedures there. How do you get a clearance? Uh, sometimes it's really simple. Uh, it can be relayed. It can be relayed through Unicom even. Uh, it can be relayed over a frequency, a discrete frequency. It can be relayed via phone call, which I think is is the easiest way to do it. Even on a if you got a, any type of phone, a sat phone, if you're out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, or if it, you know you have a regular cell phone and cell phone service, uh, but I think we need to talk a little bit about that uh, and some of the things that are involved uh, with getting an IFR clearance and specifics. For instance, um, there's this thing that we call like a clearance void time. Some of these little things that we talk about, and those are things that we get normally when we're flying out of a, an, a towered airport and all. Uh, one of the things that we need 
to remember is that say air traffic control, and this is specific to non-towered airports, gives us a clearance uh, void time, and and say that clearance void time is is like, I don't know, it's it's close in, right? Uh, in other words, it's the next five minutes or something. You can't make it because you got to do your run up. You don't have time. Make sure you don't push yourself to go, and that's kind of the point I want to make. Is that if if you can't make that clearance void time. You can't. Just tell them. There, there's nothing saying that you, you can't. You just tell them, listen, I can't make it. I, I'm not going to be able to take off. There's there's no way I can make that. Uh, so make sure you actually tell them, listen, I'm not going to be able to make that clearance void time. Also, um, one of the other terms that people hear a lot is for uh, you to hold for a release. Uh, and that means that this air traffic management, uh, air traffic control, is actually delaying your aircraft for departure. So let's let's think about that. There's got probably a good reason they're doing that. They're holding you for departure, and and a lot of times that's because there's other uh, aircraft that's probably inbound, and that's why they're doing. It. There's other traffic out there. So remember that that those are not clearances for takeoff. Uh, you're not getting cleared for takeoff. This is getting you into the IFR system. And uh, so this is an IFR, uh, a clear, you never get a clearance, right? But you are released, but that's not a, a clearance for takeoff. Now, after you've been released into the system, you need to go back and get on your CTAF and tell the traffic, you know, Plan City traffic, system 12345 is departing runway 10, Plan City traffic. You know, so you kind of have to balance this, and it's really kind of an interesting uh, balancing act, isn't it? Uh, so as far as those times and managing those times, uh, you really need to remember that if, first of all, you're the pilot in command. If they give you a very short clearance void time, that could mean that there's traffic there. Just remember that you can tell them, no, I can't do it. Uh, and don't let them push you in any in any event in any time. So, what other as far as uh, clearances and other challenges uh, that you may have seen, uh, either Russ or Bill want to comment on this uh, when we're getting out of the non-towered airport into that IFR environment, um, transitioning out of that pattern or getting your clearance. What kind of challenges, maybe Russ, you can uh, tell some of the uh, challenges you've seen, possibly with new pilots or you've seen in general. Well, of course, the easiest way to depart is to, if it's clear enough, to depart VFR and pick up your IFR clearance in the air, right? That's the most expeditious, but that only works if the weather's good enough where you actually maintain VFR while you're waiting on that. Otherwise, yeah, calling via whatever means necessary, and I prefer the cell phone. I mean, a lot of us have Bluetooth-linked headsets, and it's it's great, and you sit there and done your run-up. You're sitting there at the end of the runway, and uh, you call for your release, and they give you a two-minute void time and hey, that's cool I can be off in two minutes no big deal you know so that's that's great um, at an uncontrolled airport uh, often you will get a clearance that includes enter controlled airspace heading something something uh, and that's because at most uncontrolled airports you are below the the class E airspace right you're in class g which is uncontrolled so they can't control what you're doing in that first 700 or 1200 feet above the ground so they say enter the controlled airspace heading 260 and you do they don't particularly care what you do below that because they have no control over it but they want you on that heading when you do get above that 700 or 1200 agl and so that catches some people by surprise i think uh you know what is this the first time off a uncontrolled airport when they're used to the towered field 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Bill, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, just piggybacking on that. That's probably one of the more common misunderstandings I see with IFR, uh, you know, students and applicants is just how to depart. Um, even, you know, beyond just that uh, heading, entering, controlled airspace, you know, understanding obstacle departure procedures and all that, you know, you'll typically see at a non-towered field more so. I mean, not exclusively, but typically more so than your towered fields, just how to get out of there, um, what they're supposed to do. Um, you know, I, like I say, now with the um, prevalence of cell phone clearance delivery, it's easy. Um, you may be getting a, a complicated reroute, right? Something that other than as filed. Uh, you can call for that clearance, you know, call on the phone. You might still be on the ramp. Hold for release. Um, absolutely no time window on that. You can call 30 minutes before you plan to take off if you want to. Call, get your hold for release, figure out the route, load it into your GPS, take all that time. Um, you can even get an estimate from them. Well, when do you think we can go? Is there going to be any delays? They'll let you know. You can, now you can. They'll then often, uh, oftentimes, clearance delivery will tell you that. Give, give you the whole thing, hold for release. Let me know when you're number one for the runway. Now you can get all your housekeeping done. You get out there, and that helps everybody. You're out. You're all done. Your run-up's done. Your GPS is loaded. You're at the end of the runway, you call them up, and you're ready to go. And they can give you a really tight void time. That helps ATC because they don't have to block the airspace for 10 minutes. And you're just ready to go, and, uh, and away you go. Uh, that, a lot of that just depends, of course, on what airport. Some, some can do it that way. Some can't. Depends on the traffic situation and, uh, and what kind of communications they have. But for the most part, that, that typically works. Yeah, Bill, I agree. I have, yeah, I've called for a release. Uh, not a release, sorry. I've called for my clearance sitting in the FBO waiting yeah. for you know, passengers or something, you know, so just get your clearance, no big deal. Yep. And then later you get your release. The only possible risk you could have is if, uh, you know, the flow direction changes, not so much for an uncontrolled right. field, but you know, your clearance could possibly change if the wind shifted around or something like that, right. but generally not. And so you're well, absolutely right. Come fly around here in the Northeast. It's going to change anyway. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and kind of to add to that and on the side where we, fly a lot of times we got our clearances and we may be delayed for hours so we kind of have to call back and say hey could you keep that in the system <laughs> you know and uh and it can happen to anybody you know hey we got a two-hour delay going into new york because you know the you know air traffic control system is just backed up uh so it can that can happen there but uh but i you know bill you made a great point and just kind of to i, I want to stress this uh in, in non-towered airports and in general uh, if you know you're not giving a heading or say a, a standard departure or whatever, uh, make sure you look at your ODPs, obstacle departure procedures, and uh, start getting in the habit of that at every single airport you go to. Is look to see if there is an obstacle departure procedure because if it tells you, hey, you know, maintain heading until 1600 feet and then turn left, there's a reason for that because maybe there might be something you could bump into. Uh, so be careful. Make sure you always, always, always review your ODPs. And that comes into some IFR flying. We could actually talk about that in another episode. I think that would be really cool. But to wrap up on this, guys, we uh, one of the things I think is great, we've gone over a lot of stuff here, but there's so much more. Uh, there's a lot of different things that we can look towards uh, and some certain resources. I'd, I'd really like to you know stress that uh, there's a resource that we don't use often. It's called the AIM. Uh, airs in 4-1-9, you know, traffic 
advisory practice at airports with uh, out uh, operating control towers. And also 5-2-3, we talked about that a little bit, IFR clearances off uncontrolled airports. And that's a really good section to, to look at. Uh, there's some other things too, that advisory circular we talked about, non-towered airport uh, flight operations, some really good stuff there. Uh, there's some other really good resources as far as uh, things that have been contributing factors to, to accidents and look up some of those. Uh, I think there's a good NTSB report that uh, Bill shared with us, we'll have in the show notes. All these things uh, are great tools. They're great references. And just remember, we, we never ever can do enough to, to learn more about procedures at non-towered airports, towered airports, IFR procedures. Uh, it's a very dynamic environment, but that's what's so much fun about it. That's what's that's neat. It's the challenge. And, uh, and we as pilots that fly out of primarily towered fields, uh, you know, maybe we should uh, take that challenge and, and start operating out of a, a non-tower field. Grab a flight instructor. Uh, maybe review some of the things we talked about on this podcast. Get some of those that information that we talked about. Uh, we could go on for hours and talk about different samples, and, et cetera. But one of the things I like to do is try to listen to, like, liveatc.net and listen to some of the things that are going on there and some of the, the phraseology uh, because uh, sometimes uh, you'll hear some interesting things that are said and you might want to bring that up to your instructor and say, hey, listen, you know, what, you know, was this correct? Did they say this properly? It may have been proper. You may have learned something. But I think I really challenge you to do that. But guys, this has been a great discussion. Uh, and I think some really good insight from, from, from everybody here. And I hope people uh, have, you know, take, taken away some really good information. Uh, but, uh, but what's really important is the fact that uh, you use these resources and move forward from from there, and just uh, and just really become uh, a better pilot just by what you've learned here. But guys, you know uh, this has been awesome. Uh, just being able to get back together with you all, uh, and the fact that we had taken a break because of you know my new job and some other challenges we had in life. I'm excited to be, get back in the swing of things and doing all sorts of different podcasts. And uh, we really appreciate those people that have, have been helping the podcast. As a matter of fact, um, one of our sponsors of this episode is actually giving away an airplane. And uh, that's actually Tailwind Waymakers. It's a nonprofit that's founded to help fund aviation dreams. So whether you're, you could use some help funding your aviation training, you want to get another rating, or you just want to win a new airplane, go check them out, tailwindwaymakers.org, and you might win a free airplane. It's pretty interesting, by the way, how many organizations give away a free airplane. I wouldn't mind getting one myself. So check them out, tailwindwaymakers.org. Also, if you want to get one of those free scholarships, guys, they're actually giving away 50 of them uh, for those aviation scholarships that we have using Tailwind Waymakers as the coupon code you can get a free scholarships guide to find that aviationcareerspodcast.com slash scholarships. Well, it is time for our picks of the week. I'm going to start with uh, Russ. I think uh, uh, you have a really cool pick of the week this this, uh, this week. And uh, Russ, what is your pick? Let me guess. It's probably a book. What, what is your pick it, of the week, It Russ? is, and you won't be surprised, but literally early today, um, goodreads.com, which is kind of where people like to read kind of like track their reading and that kind of thing. It sent me an email saying, here's your summary for the year. And I read 91 books this year. So that I know it doesn't surprise anybody on the podcast wow. here, but uh, that doesn't include the ones I didn't finish. Cause there are quite a few of those that I just gave up on. But uh, anyway, no, my book here has actually been on hold for quite a long time. I've wanted to have it as a pick of the week, but 
we kept having other things. It's uh, a book by Greg Madonna, and it's called The Learjet Diaries. Um, now, it's about a Learjet pilot back in the 80s. The, um, what do you call it? The summary says it's a fictional pilot memoir. I suspect it's kind of fictional only in that, like, names have changed, you know, and places. Um, the guy, the author is actually type rated into Learjet and the detail, the level of detail in the book is obvious that it's, you know, direct from his memoir. So it, it's basically an autobiography, I think. Um, it's not a novel with a plot and, you know, romance and, you know, <laughs> this kind of stuff, you know, a villain. Um, but it's all about his flying in the early Learjets and it was just fascinating to me because, you know, you know we all have this, you know, these the fabled, uh, you know, Learjets, these super fast, super powerful rocket ships, you know, like the fastest you know, civilian aircraft you can buy and they climb like an SR-71 or whatever, you know, it's all kinds of thing, right? And But a lot of that was pretty true and, you know, it's all from, you know, how they did flight planning to fuel planning. I mean, oh my goodness, it, as soon as they leveled off, they had to start calculating, you know, are we going to make it to where we're going? You know, some of these trips he did all around the... Um, uh, the Caribbean and, you know, out to, you know, I think was operating out of Florida. And so kind of all around that area and just, just really neat. And he, you know, he went from a once flying a 172 as a flight instructor into the right seat of a Learjet. And I mean, can you imagine a transition like that? Just, just incredible. So if you be so far behind the airplane, I'm sure for a while, and then he obviously moved over into the left seat and, and continued on, on that way until he you know moved on further but uh just if you've ever really wondered about what it'd be like to fly those early Learjets as this is a, a great book which talks about it in lots of detail that pilots will love well that's awesome thanks Russ that, that's great as a matter of fact one question for you uh, what do you do with the books that you don't read and and, and why do you stop Oh, well, some of them are just because they're not interesting or actually, so, all right, I, you opened up a can of worms here. All right, so um, Kindle Unlimited and self-publishing are great things for a lot of reasons. They get a lot of people's memoirs out there. I've read so many different memoirs of, of the Vietnam era and and uh, even you know more recent conflicts and all these kind of different things because people have this avenue to get their stories out there, and that's great and wonderful. Unfortunately, you can kind of put anything you want up there, and sometimes the the writing and the editing and the spelling and grammar <laughs> isn't so great. And sometimes I just I just can't take it anymore. You know that kind of thing. Um, this book that I'm mentioning for Unpick of the Week was not in that category. <laughs> it was very very well written. So, uh, but but yeah. So and of course some I just am not interested in. If you can believe that. Wow. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you read just about everything. That's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, quite the repertoire of, of books that you have there. Uh, it's, uh, it's exciting to read about, uh, something you're passionate about and it just kind of, you, if the books just flow off the shelf for you, that's, that's awesome. Uh, as far as my pick of the week, uh, it's actually from the last episode, 
uh, we actually put a YouTube video out uh, from Paul Entrican, the author of Mr. Mig, the real story of the first MIGs in America. And uh, hopefully Russ will be able to read that book. He probably has already. Uh, but uh, I Not think quite that's yet. A, I'm that's sure it's on really, my list somewhere, though. <laughs> it, it, it should be on your list because it's, it's a really good story. I started it. It's uh, it's wonderful. And the person is, uh, you know, Paul is just wonderful. You've heard him on the podcast. Now check out the video. The reason I'm telling you about the video on YouTube is I have a lot of B-roll. And the first time I saw him was on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And we have some B-roll from uh, some, you know, video from the Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, which uh, he was on uh, when he actually brought the the MiG here to the United States. The first person to privately own a MiG-15. Really cool stuff. There's some really cool in-cockpit video. So go check that out. Uh, it's in the, the picks of the week. It's also, if you go to, to Stuck Mike Avcast episode 299, you can click on the, the YouTube channel there. So, Bill, what is your pick of the week? Oh, mine's pretty obvious. You all might have heard of it. But, uh, you know, our mutual friend Paul Bertarelli of AvWeb put out a great video, hilarious animated video, how to fly the pattern without making a bleep of yourself. Uh, the link's there. Um, not even going to try to describe it. You have to watch it. Um, it's got all these tips and more um, in the, the, the style that only Paul can deliver. Um, great, uh, great material. And... Uh, little cartoons to show you how to do it awesome right. yeah we'll point you to there just oh by the way it is a bit of a somewhat adult oh, yeah uh, so uh, yeah for those those uh, a, it's not as fa- it's not family friendly like this podcast right. let's put it that right. way uh so there's certain words that we that we can't use that he does on there so just to give you a heads up on that well thanks i appreciate that and guys it's been great getting back on and, and doing this i'm really excited i can't wait to see everybody both at sun and fun and 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 flying out there and and also don't forget to try to win one of those airplanes at tailwindwaymakers.org and by and tailwind waymakers that's that nonprofit founded to help fund aviation dreams uh they're giving away an airplane but they're also giving away scholarships guides and if you use Tailwind Waymakers as a coupon code, you can get a free one. And you can get uh, access for a full year, possibly get the rating that you want. Maybe you want to become a pilot that's flying a glider, get your instrument rating. You can find a scholarship for that. And that's at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Just use the uh, coupon code Tailwind Waymakers. Um, but guys, you know, one thing I, I do want to say is uh, I appreciate all of the people that have written to me over the past uh, six months to the year. Uh, and have uh, seen us go through a lot of challenges here, uh, both in the podcast and our personal life and our flying life. I will say one thing. I'm incredibly uh, thankful for what you've said. Also, I'm incredibly excited about the next year and what's ahead. And, uh, and one thing that I think is really important is that when we aren't able to fly, when we can't get out there and fly, it's just keeping that passion alive. And, and that means sometimes not flying, but maybe doing something small to keep our, our hand in aviation. And that's what I want to encourage you to do, because some of you have written to us and said, you know, you know I haven't flown in, in a couple of you know months, years, whatever it may be, but I can't wait to get back into it. I hope that by listening to this, that you take a piece away from this and it spurs you to do something, maybe today or tomorrow, to, to get back involved in aviation. Maybe go out and get that next rating. But I hope you will do something. Get out there, do something that, that you may want to do or have been dreaming about, about flying that, that jet, about going out there and getting a ride and possibly a steerman. But I really encourage you to get out there and, and do it today and don't put it off till tomorrow. Uh, and just 
kind of move forward with that passion. And uh, we really appreciate uh, you listening to us. And I, this has been exciting, uh, putting out this 300th episode of the Stuck Mike Adcast. And we hope that we have another 300 in us in the future. Well, folks, we'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying out there. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.